You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Let me get into your journey uh, from where you were when you started to where you are now in a, in a second. But how would you describe your responsibilities to uh, the, the general I guess, understanding of your title, Vice President of Basketball Operations and, and Special Assistant. Uh, what, is, what is your daily set of responsibilities and, and big picture? What are your kind of tasks with the Mavericks? Sure. So, um, you know, just kind of being part of both organizations. I've been with the Mavericks going on 20 years now. Um, you know, it's really just kind of learning the front office stuff, which I've been doing from afar uh, over the last 18, 19 years. But um, my primary focus is is the development of our young guys and overseeing our G League team, how we can make that better, um, how we can develop our guys into, you know, NBA players and what changes, what we can do better, what we can, you know, we need to change. So from that standpoint, and then I'm also involved in our draft, summer league, um, trying to find diamonds in the rough, really. Um, guys that are undrafted, um, that, uh, you know, in a couple of years worth of development can potentially be NBA players and, you know, diamonds in the rough, so to speak. All right. So let's go all the way back to uh, a young Al Whitley who started with the Dallas Mavericks kind of by happenstance. How, how did you and the Mavericks uh, begin this, this marriage that has now spanned multiple decades? For sure. So, you know, obviously extremely lucky, um, it, for you know some people that don't know i grew up with steve nash former maverick and you know hall of fame point guard and through steve you know i uh, got a chance to meet uh mark cuban uh, he had just kind of bought the mavericks and we ended up developing a friendship and a relationship and i would see him occasionally in different cities and i've always wanted to move to the states as a as a you know young boy living uh, growing up in western canada a couple times a year we get down to seattle i just fell in love with you know, with the United States and the dream to one day live down here. And, you know, fast forward till I'm 25 years old and I'm trying to figure out how to get down here. And, you know, Mark one day just said, Hey, do you want to, would you come work for me? And, you know, I, I played college basketball in Canada, played basketball my whole life. It's my passion. And I said, absolutely. I would do anything. So I actually started September 10th, 2001, the day before nine 11, my first day with the Mavericks. Um, actually took nine months to get my working visa. I didn't think it was ever going to happen. Finally got it. And that was my first day. And I started on the business side in marketing and uh, did whatever they needed me to do. I worked weekends, came in early, left late, just, you know, whatever needed to be done, just kind of trying to be the ultimate team guy. And uh, after one year uh, in the, on the business side of marketing, um, Donnie Nelson came to me and said, Hey, are you a a business side guy or are you a team guy and i said donnie i'm a team guy i'll do whatever you need me to do it happened to be an opening as an assistant equipment manager 
and I jumped all over it and did that for two years, ended up becoming the head guy and was kind of the, you know, the head, head uh, equipment manager for like 13 or 14 years. And then um, the whole time kind of learning the ropes, learning every aspect of the business, you know, sitting courtside for 17 years, uh, you know, not just sitting there watching the game, but trying to scout players and learning all every aspect of what was going on and preparing myself that eventually and hopefully if given the opportunity to jump into the front office, which was always my goal um, and dream that I'd be ready. And when Mark bought the uh, majority uh, piece of the Texas legends, our G league team, um, he asked me and promoted me to, uh, to oversee and run it for him. So, you know, very, very lucky dream come true. Put a lot of hard years and hours into getting to, to, to this position, but uh, extremely grateful that I got there. All right. So you said that this was always kind of something you wanted to do. I, not to, to nitpick, does always mean like from when you were playing basketball growing up that you wanted to be in the front office of an NBA team, or is that always maybe more something that once you were introduced to the Mavericks and you understood some of the dynamics? you set your mind on, hey, this is what I want to do. How, how far back do, do these dreams actually kind of uh, exist? For sure. So, you know, growing up, playing every day, you know, playing with Steve and understanding that, you know, hey, we get to the 10th grade and, man, he's starting to get a lot better than us, you know, type of deal. And your dream is always to play in the NBA. You grew up on a small island in Western Canada, should have been probably playing hockey, but, you know, basketball was our dream and our love. And, uh Got to play a little bit in university. It really wasn't back then that I was thinking front office. Um, you know, just being having a dream of, play, of wanting to play in the NBA one day, obviously knowing that wasn't going to happen. What's the next avenue and how can I get to the NBA without necessarily playing? And that's where kind of in college where it started to formulate, hey, you know, what if I could – find another avenue and what if it was in the front office or on the business side uh but just being a part of a team because i just love the culture um and everything that uh you know exemplifies being a, a part of a team environment and so i just kind of uh you know set myself up for it and was was lucky enough to get the opportunity all right so i i want to dig into your time as an equipment manager and then your sure. your transition but you know i i think a lot of people who have been around a team know this, but maybe if you haven't, you don't realize that you know the equipment staff. Those are the guys and gals who usually have the the longest hours there. I mean, they really are the first ones there and the last ones to leave. Yeah. It's thankless in a lot of ways. Sure, uh, and and it you know you are you do get certain opportunities to be a part of the team side, like you know you mentioned when you you made that transition, but uh, it is not as glamorous maybe as, as people realize what were your experiences like and, and how did you grow within that role uh, dealing with some of the challenges that you have to deal with? For sure. So you, you nailed it in the head. It is thankless. There's it's long hours. You know, if you work in professional sports, it doesn't matter if it's the NBA, major league baseball, NHL, foot, you know, NFL, you're going to work long hours. Some guys, some people work longer than others, but if you're on the support staff or you're, a part of team operations, you're, you're putting long hours in. And a lot of the time they are thankless. Um, but as I started in that role and, and understanding it and knowing where I wanted to go, um, I, you know, 
that to me, that's laying that foundation, the hours, what you're a part of being around the guys, like to develop the relationships, to understand this type of athlete as, you know, as from when I started to one to where I am now over the last 20 years, the mindset and the athlete has changed so much. And I was fortunate enough. I've been, I, for the last 17, I was in a locker room every day with these guys, building friendships, understanding what they're all about, what their mindset is, their likes, their dislikes. So for me, transitioning into the front office, I feel like that's a real added bonus that I can provide for, for the front office of the Mavericks, right? I understand these guys and compared to maybe somebody who hasn't spent as much time around the players. And so it's a unique avenue to kind of get in the door and be able to share that with, you know, Donnie Nelson and Keith Grant and Michael Finley and, you know, Mark Cuban and just kind of, you know, the mindset that we're dealing with here and just kind of how to go about things along the journey. You know, I, I became the president of the Equipment Managers Association. I then transitioned to the president of our, our Equipment Managers Foundation. Then we did a lot of work with St. Jude, trying to put myself in these roles uh, to grow my leadership, to deal with the NBA and the executives in the NBA. I helped, you know, with the Nike contract in terms of just, uh, you know, asking questions and stuff. So the whole time, just trying to build my resume piece by piece that again, if I'm ever given the opportunity um, to transition in the front office, that I would be ready. All right. Irrelevant material question. And then I want to get back into the serious stuff. I, gear is such a, a coveted thing. Uh, <laughs> what, what was over the years and, and maybe it still is for you, like the, the piece of gear that you most look forward to getting your hands on? I mean, to be honest with you, and even, even to this day with, our, with the Mavs equipment guys, you know, Corey Johnson and Craig Metcalf, uh, you know, when all those boxes start arriving, it is a nightmare to deal with. I mean, it's hundreds and hundreds of boxes. Uh, it, it's, it's not easy when it first comes in when you're preparing for the season. To this day, I'll still go back there and say, hey, do you guys need a hand? Just because I love opening them up, see what the new gear looks like, the color schemes, the logos, um, you know, the travel suits, um, practice shorts. It doesn't matter. I'm a, you know, I love gear. Everybody loves gear, right? I've heard over, over the 17 years when people are trying to ask for gear, the, you know, instead of just, I, all equipment guys would just want to hear, hey, can I get another shirt? Or, as opposed to, hey, I hate to ask you or... Hey, my brother uh, lost this in the laundry, and do you think I can get another one? We've heard every excuse and everything in the book. Just come out forward and say, "Hey, can I get another shirt?" And 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 you'll you'll have a better chance of getting it. Well, what's another thing that like? What's another trick of the trade? I guess like in dealing with someone in that role, uh, whether it's you know paying them not like financially necessarily, but like showing them the proper level of respect or like maybe like the best way to get on their good side. What's another thing that you guys would kind of joke about? Like, Hey, like this is, like, this is the way sure. to do it. So if you haven't seen somebody in a while and they just come right up to you and they'll just ask, right. How, <laughs> how about asking how I'm doing? How's my family? Um, you know, engaging in a conversation, uh, trying to build a relationship with those guys because they know everything that's coming towards them. They know everybody wants gear. They've got the key to the candy store. I used to always say, um, so, you know, what? just, and take care of who take, you know, you take care of who takes care of you, right? It doesn't have to be monetary, but just show that you're appreciative of their hard work by a thank you, by a please. It goes a mile. I promise you. All right. You, you mentioned you were the president of the, uh, equipment. What, what's the official, it's, like, it's, or- it's 
NBA EMA. Uh, Equipment Manager Association? Yes, sir. Yep. What were some of the issues that you maybe fought for on behalf of your, your fellow equipment managers? Uh, yeah, I, I guess that's, you know, I, 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 is that what that sort of was? Like you guys for made sure, sure that, yeah. yeah. You know what, it, it was, it, it's what I, I, found, I discovered early on that there is, it feels like when you're in that position, there's a lack of respect. Uh, oh, you know, are you a ball boy? Oh, you, you're the laundry guy. You're this, that, and the other. These guys are the integral pieces, uh, along with the training staff, of any pro sports team or any team in general. And they're involved in the day-to-day operation inside and out. So it's an extremely important role. It's grown every year as staff have grown. Um, you know, the Nike contract and how big of a deal that is. You know, they're asked of a lot of things. So you know, for one, when I started out early on was, you know, how do you define respect, right? Well, you know, pay increases, right? I, a lot of the guys were paid relatively low and they'd had, you know, they'd been 10, 15 years on the job. And so we started to do salary surveys and just, you know, I would send emails or you know, as the president, maybe talk to general managers about certain guys around the league and, hey, can you help them out? And you know, pension has always been something that, they, that they've talked about. It's never happened to this day, but just, uh, you know, as the trainers have that, but uh, it's just a level of respect to, sh- you know, that it's an important job. Um, these guys work hard and, and they're, uh, you know, an important part of the success of any team. All right. So I know that, you know, at, at the core of that role, uh, you're going to be doing a lot of the same things that your peers on other teams might. But I also know, and, and maybe it's changed, I know certainly at, at a, a, a certain point, uh, just the way the staffs were made up, you would have all your equipment responsibilities, but maybe the Mavericks would also have you do this and that that maybe isn't in that same lane. Like I know Casey Smith, the head athletic trainer, obviously does a lot of athletic training type things, but then he's also responsible for stuff that wouldn't necessarily fall under that umbrella. And that could vary team to team. What were some of your actual responsibilities that did not involve what a normal equipment manager set of responsibilities might be? I think, um, you know, early on, I I loved being on the court and, and when I had the time and like I said, as staff and teams grow and, you know, players get more and more, um, for lack of a better word, high maintenance, I guess. Um, you know, I had a little bit more time to be on the court, and I would lo- I love to rebound. Um, you know, obviously my two favorite guys of all time to rebound for was, was Derek and Steve Nash, just because you just literally had to stand underneath the net and you didn't have to move. The ball just came to you every time. Uh, my, my rebounding days started to end when we traded for Antoine Walker because I literally the best workout I've ever had in my life chasing those balls. And, and I love, and I love Antoine. He's, he's a good friend to this day, but uh, you were running around like crazy, but um, you know what? It's really a little bit about anything, you know, it, in order for a successful support staff to operate, everybody kind of helps everybody, whether it's helping out a little bit in, in the um, weight room or if the trainers need something, you just kind of do whatever you need to do to get the job done. And, the most important goal is just taking care of the players, making sure they have everything they need. And so their only, their main focus is just playing basketball. All right. So I think your journey is one that whether people realize it or not, they, uh, they are in their own professional world trying to emulate and that, you know, you, you got down a certain path and, and that was on the equipment side while maybe having aspirations to, 
take over a different set of responsibilities, and, and that's what you have ultimately done. It's not – this is not a very – you know, I don't have statistics on this, but I can't imagine too many people in your role have your background, and I think that's sure. a credit to – to your ability to navigate those waters, but it's it's not always easy uh, to aspire to do something in one lane while having to maintain a strong focus and devotion to something in another lane. How did you balance that? How did you balance your desire to grow maybe in ways outside of your responsibilities as the equipment manager while still being true and loyal to the organization and being the best dang equipment manager you could be? Yeah, that's a great question. I, um, I really think two things. A, I was, I was needing another challenge. I mean, this, this probably couldn't have come at a better time. I, you know, I love in the equipment world and doing it, but I just felt like, you know, I could do more or, 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 you know, impact a different area. Uh, and one that, that I was really passionate about, which is, you know, trying to make the Mavericks as best we can on the court and win championships and success and all that. The other thing too, though, that, that I've, you know, really lucky, actually two things. One was Keith Grant, which back in long, long, our, our assistant general manager, but back in the day, obviously staffs and everything and the whole world has changed now in terms of NBA teams, but he started in the equipment room and he worked all his, his way up all the way. And he's been our assistant general manager for, I don't know, probably the last, 25 to 30 years. So that was an unbelievable role model for me to see that the path, whether it was done in, in recent history or not, it has been done. And, you know, I'm a guy who loves the challenge, but the, the thing that's the most important for me is, uh, is our owner. You know, uh, Mark is unconventional. He's out of the box thinker. And I'd like to think that I get this opportunity with 29 other NBA teams because I feel like I, you know, I can offer, certain things and, and help in this role and grow. But the real out reality of it is probably wouldn't happen in all 29 teams. And Mark, uh, you know, we're an unconventional franchise and he's uh, given me an opportunity. It's not a road that's been traveled very often, if at all. And, you know, I, I take uh, great pride in it and maybe I can open the door for somebody else. You know, there's some great smart minds, equipment guys. I don't know if it's the same role necessarily, but Maybe it opens the door for somebody uh, in, that was doing equipment or something like that, similar to me down the road that, that front offices and general managers and presidents will say, hey, let's give this give so-and-so an opportunity. So, I, you know, I take great pride in it. It's been an unbelievable journey, but I've been given the opportunity to do it too. You know, you can, you can only go so far on your own sometimes, and you have to have people that believe in you. And fortunately, um, you know, Mark's believed in me for – going on 20 years now, so I'm extremely lucky. One of the things, Al, that you know, I, I've gotten to observe just in my short time, a couple years now, of, of having a, a friendship with you is your ability to connect with people and to, to manage people. And, and while I guess you don't necessarily, in my role with the Legends, uh, thankfully haven't been in a position where we've had, <laughs> had like a, a you know an serious meeting in your office and you've yeah. had to manage me, I, I know that that's... That was obviously a big part of your your job when you were on the equipment side. That's certainly a big part of your job now. Uh, and we had sitting, uh, you know, over some great Greek food. We talked about, you know, the importance of relationships with people. And you already touched sure. on that, uh, you know, a, a few minutes ago. But what are what are some of the important 
characteristics or elements you think are a part of managing people uh, and and getting them to want to follow your lead? Well, I, th- I think for one, it's not just one voice; it's everybody's voice, right? Uh, just because I'm managing and uh, doesn't mean that I have all the answers. Um, you know, I read something the other day: um, great leaders don't push; they pull. You know, everybody is a part of it, and I, I was raised with, with two parents that uh, that taught me to respect everybody. And so, whether it's the you know the janitor, you know, busting their butt to clean the locker room every day, or it's Mark Cuban or Donnie Nelson, I really try hard on a daily basis not to treat anybody differently. Um, and, and, and I, I truly believe that, you know, respect is earned. And, and um, so I don't think it's a, it's a secret. I think, uh, you know, you just got to respect people, be polite to them, try and lead them to the best of your ability. And, uh, you know, and, and part of it's culture too, building a, a culture based on accountability all that plays a role into uh, the train moving forward all the time. So that's what I try and do on a daily basis and, and continue to get better each and every day. All right, you mentioned Mark Cuban and you mentioned Keith Grant. Uh, sure. Not to, to by any means diminish what, what influences they had on you, but you, you kind of already shared those. Who, who are some of the other folks who maybe have had an influence on you directly or, or maybe even indirectly throughout your career and your pursuits? Uh, you know, my dad for sure growing up is, uh, you know, growing up in Victoria, just t- teaching me, uh, the, the values of hard work and dedication and responsibility. Um, you know, I'll throw my mom in there as well. They, they, they were huge influences in my life. Um, I've really got a chance to, uh, over the last 20 years, um, develop an unbelievable friendship with Don Coxine, who's also part of the Texas Rangers. He's been an integral part of the Mavericks for the last 20 years. And, you know, he's really helped me to believe in myself and have the confidence to um, pursue anything and everything. And that nothing is, you know, you can obtain any, anything you want to as long as you believe in yourself and have the confidence to do it. Uh, and my grandfather, my grandfather, uh, my late grandfather was a World War II vet and um, taught me an incredible amount of, uh, you know, integrity and as growing up as a kid so all those you know all those people there's many many more uh, i could look to steve uh nash just his and dirk is a great example as well jason kidd these guys every day um going to the gym whether it be for a game or a practice and pushing themselves to get better each and every day you know it's it's not easy this is a you know it's a it's a hard road to travel and for a guy like steve he went to the gym every day for a purpose and the purpose was to get a little bit better than he was the day before. There's lots of days that him, Dirk, whoever, they don't want to necessarily want to go to the gym, but they make themselves go because, you know, their dedication to their craft and to be the best that they can be was incredibly inspiring to be a part of and watch that over the last 20 years or so. So, you know, that's really been a, a huge factor in my life as well. Who, Al, who, uh, and, and for people who don't know, and you, you reference kind of being on the court, you would sit, if I'm not mistaken, kind of towards the end of the bench, right? Not not always would, on the bench, or not yeah, on the bench. I would but sit like, on the baseline, yeah. like right beside the bench, but right on the baseline. So I usually, um, I, I got the uh, the pleasure of being usually sitting right in front of our owner. Um, <laughs> and he's gotten quieter over the years, but but, but back in the day when he was, 
I would say not happy with some calls, it would be usually my right or left ear um, that he was screaming into, and uh, I would try and block it from the referees. So it was, it was funny. <laughs> who, who's the player on any of those Mavs teams who maybe didn't get a lot of playing time, maybe would go games without playing, who would sit on the bench, who you'd maybe enjoy interacting with like over the course of the game? Man, there's so many over the years. Uh, we just had set so many great guys, but one that comes to mind right away is Brian Cardinal. Uh, one of the all-time greatest people you'll ever meet. Um, did his job and knew his role and did it to perfection. Came in every day, worked his butt off uh, day in and day out, and always stayed ready. Was the ultimate teammate. And when his number was called, which it was called in the NBA Finals in 2011, where he got in and made some huge plays for us, took a charge, did a, you know, a bunch of other things. Uh, ultimate professional, but one of the funniest guys you'll ever be around and, and definitely loved my time with him while he was here. All right, Al, you mentioned your, your responsibilities with the Texas legends of the NBA G League. And, and I, you know, frankly, if, if I'm being 110% honest, when I first started calling games for the legends, it was just another opportunity for me to grow as a broadcaster. I, I now genuinely love being a part of that and, and, and the G League by proxy and, and seeing the way the team and the league itself has grown. And I, I know that sure. you obviously now spend a lot of time uh, with that in mind. What what has impressed you most about the evolution of the G League? And then I guess what are the next steps for the league to continue to grow? Well, I think, I think for one, the biggest thing for me was the talent level. You know, I had uh, been to a few G League games, but just with how crazy the NBA season is and being with the Mavericks full-time up until two years ago, I didn't really have an accurate grasp of it. It is an unbelievably talented league. Um, what I love about it the most is that these guys – most of these guys are right on the brink of achieving their, you know, their dream, and which is to to play in the NBA. And how do we, you know, that's my job and our staff's job. How do we figure out a way to get them there if they're willing to do the work? How do we get them to the next level? And it's extremely prideful um, when guys get called up to the league. We had a couple guys on our team this year that I thought should have got a call up, whether you know with the Mavericks or with any team um, and didn't, but they were super close. And, you know, it's just such a great group of guys that, that uh, nobody can really act out or, you know, because you're, you're kind of fringe NBA players or fringe, you know, professional players where everybody's trying, doing whatever they can to get to the next level. And if the next level is not the NBA, maybe it's a great contract overseas or wherever your highest level is helping them get to that level is extremely satisfying for all of us. So, you know, I spend time broadcasting minor league baseball, and it's, I guess, in some ways a similar dynamic in that these guys are trying to get to the next level, and, and eventually that level is the same uh, comparatively as, as the NBA. They're trying to get to major league baseball. But the difference sure. in baseball is that it is a, it is a team sport with individualized actions. And yeah. I can't – the only way I can really truly be selfish is maybe, like, when I'm on the bases – just trying to pad my stolen base stats at the expense of, you know, someone else's at bat. But like, if I'm sitting in the dugout, I can't, 
I can't really influence you when you're hitting. I, I can't not pass you the ball or of course, yeah. set a bad yeah. screen. But, in, you know, I think in, in basketball it's a different dynamic because there's one ball that goes around and these guys are all trying to get noticed. They're all trying sure. to uh, impress someone. How do you... How do you balance that, knowing that these guys are trying to get there, so to speak, but also knowing that and imparting upon them that you still have to play a team game and it can't just be every man for themselves? Because, Al, that's something like I think in, in watching the games in the G League over the last couple years versus my first two years, that part's changed. I, I thought my first year, I remember like my first few G League games I walked out of there kind of shaking my head like, man, yeah. this is like everything that basketball is not supposed to be. Exactly. But that yeah. has changed dramatically. I'm curious how and, and okay. how do you guys well, impart that? Cu- yeah, no, it's a great question. A couple of reasons, a couple of factors, I think. A, um, we're not, I'm not looking for those type of players um, to when we're putting a roster together, Malcolm Farmer, our president, myself, we include head coach George Galanopoulos in some of our decisions. That that's not the that's not the player or the type of player that we're looking for anymore. Uh, not to say that they were looking for that in the past, but I want culture guys. We're trying to build a culture, and some people say, "Well, how do you build a culture in the G League?" You know, guys are in and out every game. The roster changes so much. I think you can build a culture. It's based on accountability, right? And this is how we do things here. Whether you're here or 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 somebody else comes in, your culture shouldn't change. And so I've tried to work really hard in instilling, trying to build a culture of what Texas Legends basketball is all about. And, it's a, and we preach culture. We preach teamwork, you know, being a great, great teammate, body language. Um, and then I, we talk to the guys, whether it's our coaching staff, myself, whoever, all the time. Uh, I call it the OAEs, right? Observed, analyzed, and evaluating. You guys are being observed, analyzed, and evaluated all the time when you're getting on the team bus, when you're getting off, going to shoot around while you're playing, the guys that are getting noticed and getting call-ups are not the guys averaging 25 points on 21 shots a game. It's not going to happen in today's game. Can you, you know, can you show that you understand the game of basketball, make the right reads, make the right pass at the right time? Sure. Score the ball. Can you defend? You know, there's other things that, that scouts and that, you know, uh, NBA front offices are looking for, other than just ball hogging and throwing up 20 shots a game. It's not going to get you noticed uh, that much anymore like it did in the past. All right, Al, last question for you. You've gotten to meet a ton of people uh, over the years with your job and uh, just the the various experiences and, and the travel and all that stuff. Sure. Who's someone you have not met who you would really like the opportunity to meet? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I thought you were going to say who's who's the one, and I was going to say Michael Jordan because I had the chance to to meet him a couple of times. Um, I've been around him, but we never, you know, got a chance to talk. Probably somebody like Bill Russell, you know, being a kind of a historian of the game and just you know the success he had and how the game has changed so much from when he played. And I just every time I see him, I'm just like, wow, eleven rings, you know. You talk about the ultimate champion. Um, you know, Bill Russell would come to mind pretty quick. Yeah, 